Welcome to the Gateworld Podcast. Welcome to episode number 95 of the Gateworld Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. Well, we've seen all 20 episodes of the first season of Stargate Universe, and now it's the big recap show. This week, we're looking back at SGU Season 1. And after we talk about that, uh, towards the end of the show, David has watched our assigned Doctor Who episodes, so we'll talk about Doctor Who and what he thinks is uh, someone who is not a fan of the show up to this point. Maybe we've made him a fan. Uh, we'll talk about what he thought of the show, never having seen it before. So if you are a Doctor Who fan, stay tuned for that at the end of the show. David, how are you doing this week? I am well. How was your week? Great. We got out and did some sightseeing in Scotland this weekend. Almost got yourself killed. Yep, that driving on the left side of the road threw us a little bit. This is the first time that you had a car in Scotland, is that right? Yeah, we moved to Scotland for university and decided that because we live right next to the campus that I wanted to see how long we could go without owning a car. And we went the whole school year, and we still don't have one, but we're, we're going to look at getting one this summer to be able to get out and do some more sightseeing because we've kind of done everything that we can in the immediate area mm-hmm. by bus. So we rented a car. We had a blast. We went up to the north of Scotland, uh, up to the coast, and we saw lots of castles. Uh, and then on Saturday, we went down to St. Andrews, and I just fell in love with St. Andrews. It's a beautiful city. Uh, we had a great time. I'm delighted for you guys. Hi, this is Joe from uh, Lancaster, New York. I just had to call in. Uh, I just saw you guys post on Robert C. Cooper um, leaving the series, or at least partially leaving, and then fully leaving. I, um, I'm sure you guys are going to talk about this, but it's kind of very shocking to me, and I wanted to know uh, if you guys think that this is going to affect the series in a big way. It kind of feels to me like Battlestar Galactica, if they lost Ron Moore, even Apple, if they lost like Steve Jobs. It's very... I think detrimental to the series because he created and then he shaped so much of it. And I'm kind of worried that going forward that we're going to lose a lot of what we love about Stargate. And um, I just really wanted to know what your guys' thoughts were on it. It was announced that executive producer Robert C. Cooper is departing the Stargate franchise this summer. Uh, Joe Malazzi posted this first on his blog over the weekend that the stage panel at Comic-Con is going to be Rob's last official... Stargate duty, and then uh, I contacted Rob after this and and asked some follow-up questions, and he confirms he is writing another episode for the back half of this season, and uh, he just uh, gave us some great comments on the sort of the why this decision came about and what he's planning on doing next. Um, Yeah, by the time the podcast goes up, uh, that'll be on GateWorld, so you can can look for that on GateWorld. Remember, Rob has been with the show, with the franchise. Season one of SG1. He was a writer and a story editor all the way back in season one in 1997 when they kicked this thing off. Mm -hmm. And so he's been there for, you know, including season two of SGU, which we have not seen yet. He's been there for 17 seasons of television, 17 produced seasons, plus the movie. He he wrote and directed The Ark of Truth. Just phenomenal. And I was looking back through, was writing up the, the news story and looking back through his list of credits, just episodes that he's written. Stargate would absolutely not be the same without this guy. I mean, these are some of my favorite episodes of all time. You know, you're talking about Fifth Race and Threads and Heroes. And, you know, he co-wrote Lost City with Brad and uh, co-created Atlantis and SGU with Brad. 
I uh, have got to say that while I am surprised of his departure, it is not unexpected. Um, these guys cannot... They have gone above and beyond for, for 17 seasons of television. You can't expect them to stick around forever. And John Smith took off. I mean, these... These these folks have really really done their duty, and you can't expect them to to stay forever, and, and you you can't begrudge them when they choose to move on. I wish him all the best. His stories were immensely riveting and interesting, and I will miss them. Yeah, I will miss them, and and I will miss him. But be constantly grateful for what he's done for the show, for for making this a show. Uh, you know, for his part, making this a show that I love so much, uh, yep. the franchise. And few fans out there, like you and I, have had the privilege of meeting him and talking with him about Stargate face-to-face. And it's, uh, you know, he's just a, a, a great stand-up guy. It's disarming just how immensely serious he is about it and, and inwardly intellectual he is about the product. You know, he was completely invested in it. Uh, again, he'll be writing one more episode, and, and the final scripts are going to be written... Uh, still be in the process, I think, of being written uh, next month around Comic-Con. I think they usually finish up scripting late summer. So, yeah, basically, he's he's still fully present for season two, but he's stepping back from a, from a hands-on producer to a, a consulting producer. And should the show be renewed for season three, I, I don't know. He may just uh, just be gone at that point. The main discussion. Our main discussion for Podcast 95 is the complete season of SGU, the complete freshman season. We're talking about everything that we liked, the things that uh, we didn't like so much, but mostly stuff that we liked. I, I have to say that uh, this was a good year of television, I am happy to say. It was, and I was looking forward to SGU so much because I was, uh, again, without detracting anything from SGU 1 or Atlantis, I was ready for a different take on Stargate. Uh, yeah. And well, you and I, I was, were open-minded about that. I think so, yeah. Um, uh, more than some people. The writers clearly were, too. The writers wanted to to do a different take and to, to tell stories in a different kind of way. And I think it was, it was by and large, very successful, hugely successful. Um, it, it felt more like a, like a, a season one show, uh, a freshman show, in a lot of ways to me. Uh, whereas Atlantis kicked off with with SG-1, and both shows were being produced at the same time by mm-hmm. the same people, mm-hmm. and they were, they were the same kind of shows. You know, we were saying in season one of Atlantis that the, the show already felt like, um, like they had gotten all their ducks in a row and had, had, you know, knew how they were going about things, and, and the show felt like a season two or a season three show right off the bat. Didn't have to really find its legs quite so much. I think that because SGU was a different kind of show, there was a little bit more of finding your legs at least in the beginning, uh, but but by the end, yeah, they're they're doing the kind of show that that I was I was really hoping that they were going to do. They pulled it off. Yeah, I was hoping that if they stuck to their guns, you know, they would go ahead and create a a television series that was precisely what I was looking for. And I've got that. I've got a, a kind of dark and moody Stargate show because we've we've had fluffy Stargate seasons, you know, which were light and adventurous and ah ha ha and winky winky and you know almost giggly. And at this point in my life, this is the show that I wanted right at the right time that I wanted it. So, well, there was uh, SG One had. I've said this on the podcast before, and this is worth repeating now. 
uh, it had kind of a 1990s vibe to it in the storytelling. Very straightforward, uh, kind of fun. Linear. Linear. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I think, is sort of a quintessential 90s kind of a show. Uh, and SG-1 had that, that sort of vibe, whereas when you turn the decade into the 21st century, you start getting a lot more storytelling that is, we've said it a thousand times, but darker, more serious, more realistic, sometimes more violent, sometimes more graphic. That's sort of the, the sorts of things that are appealing to audiences are the things that uh, are showing up on HBO. Yeah. And, uh, I think a lot of it's the 9-11 effect. That's about the same time that it happened. Stories are not told in a linear fashion so much anymore. I mean, the pilot is a great example. It's told out of sequence. It forces you to be more attentive of it. It forces you to watch as opposed to having it on in the background. You know, I have friends who say that, you know, they're watching SG-1 in Atlantis all the way through, and then I come over to their house, and, you know, they have it on in the background while they're doing other things, you know, and that's that's mm-hmm. literally them going through and watching. And in, in a lot of episodes, you know, you can do that, but not with not with Universe. The show demands attention. Yeah, and the best television demands that you sit down and watch it as a visual medium. Mm-hmm. I think it was in Joe Michael Straczynski's uh, script-writing book. I read his book on writing for television, and I, I think it was him who makes the point that you should not be able to follow a television episode, the story of it, if you're in the kitchen washing dishes. If you're just hearing it, you shouldn't be able to follow it because television is a medium. You need to write it visually. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm in the middle of uh, rewatching Voyager right now. I'm in, I'm in season two, finally uh, sitting down and rewatching it after about three years of not seeing it. And I find myself often working on other things with the television mm-hmm. in my periphery. Um, but uh, email, writing emails and, and doing little bits of, of work while I'm at home, you know, uh, just uh, it's it's kind of a distraction. But, um, of course, I've seen it several times. So. Yeah, well, that's the difference when you do know what's going on. And, and in some cases, like Star Trek, you've watched it enough that you can quote the dialogue. So before we get into talking about, you know, tone and characters and some of the specifics like communication stones and, and aliens... Um, let's start off with the specifics of your favorite episode and your least favorite episode from season one. So favorites first. My favorite is time. Looking back on that, yeah, I've only seen it a couple of times, but it is the most interesting, I think, for season one. I have have to say that that is probably my standout episode. Uh, Barely even on the ship. Well, now that I think of it, I think they were on the ship a little bit more than I thought they were. Yeah, a lot but, of us on the ship, watching the video at least. Right. Man, that's that's a fun hour of television. Fantastic uh, visual effects, fantastic environment, although I think it was on a closed set the entire time. It's, it's Rob Cooper's masterpiece from season one, I think. Yeah, the time was an episode where I would guess that it may have started with Kino, that it may have started with, we have this device, and it's a floating camera ball. What if we told a story through its eyes? Yeah, its eyes. time is the Kino episode. Yeah, definitely a cool one. I think that that is going to make a lot of people's top one list or top two list. about you? My favorite episode of the first season is Space. I yeah. think that the, the, it was originally supposed to be the uh, mid-season cliffhanger, uh, the last episode that we saw in the fall, and it got bumped so that it was instead the first part of the second half of the season. So, I mean, space is, I think, the torment of Tantalus for for uh, Stargate Universe. Like, this was the point where the show turned its first major corner. 
I mean, as intensely awesome as time was, time is kind of a, of a high-concept story. Space is, in, in terms of the regular pace-by-pace pace storytelling for SGU, I think was the first time that they really turned a corner and, and hit one out of the park. And, and obviously, being a mythology guy, this is establishing a lot of mythology for the show with, with the blue aliens setting up those guys. When I think about space, though, it's not just the mythology. It's not just the, the cool blue aliens and the space battle. The first shot that I think of when I think of space is right after Rush has freed Chloe, and they're, you know, they're, they're in their, uh, their wet know, leathery yeah. alien wetsuits and bare feet in this, in this uh, room with, with water and broken glass all over the floor. And they're, he takes her hand, and they rush out of the room. Yeah. Uh, just that escape sequence, those two characters together in this situation. Yeah. Um, I think it turned the corner for reasons like that. Because all of a sudden, these characters who had been crammed inside of a spaceship having these inner turmoil problems for ten episodes were now outside that ship having a very real external threat facing them, and they banded together. These two, mm-hmm. two people, especially Chloe and Rush, were, mm-hmm. were bonded, which you know, continued to, to follow through and divided that these two in particular hadn't had this bond now. It's not a combination that you would expect, but it's one that, considering their circumstances, like post-traumatic stress, works immensely well. I look back on time, and um, the, the moments that stand out to me are um, Eli revealing uh, his mom's illness, mm-hmm. um, you know, with that long, slow scene between him and, um, I think it was, I think it was Elena Huffman, I think it was TJ, yeah, was and... Funny. You know, she's talking about, you know, her her father. I think he was a tailor. Um, and, you know, we're just learning about them very casually. But in that scene, we see that the writers have clearly set up a very deliberate execution of certain plots throughout the season. They aren't just stumbling on these things by accident. Everything that they're doing now is very calculated, and it's working. Mm. Um, a lot like Lost does it very well. And I realized at that point that they were... Uh, really interested in explicitly revealing mythology over the course of the show in a very calculated, very decisive fashion. And then at the end, with with Scott, you know, we're we're you guys are going to die if you don't do this. And then cut to black was an awesome ending, perhaps the best ending of the entire franchise. It's pretty strong, perhaps. And that goes back to the different kind of storytelling point, which is that I think that SGU uh, asks more of its audience and and trusts its audience more to, you know, sort of figure out what's going on. And I don't think that you need a tag to that episode where that, where destiny flies off yeah. and, and everybody lives happily ever after. Yeah. You don't need it. And that's, you know, we've seen that kind of storytelling and that kind of resolution so much on television over the last umpteen years, you know, however many decades you've been watching TV, mm-hmm. that uh, I, it, it, we don't need it anymore. As long as, I mean, you have information that leads you to conclude what happened. You know, yeah. I, it upsets me so much when, when people say to me, you know, I can't stand the ending of that episode. What the heck happened? <laughs> I'm like, you're smart enough to figure out what happened. They gave you the information. If you weren't washing dishes, you would have figured it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. About your least favorite. I hope that I've made it clear in a, in a, uh, a nice and polite and constructive way that, that I think the low point of the season is, is life, episode nine. And um, I think a lot of people 
will agree with me on this one. And maybe I'm totally open to the possibility that this is just me, that this is a matter of preference, that, that it's not necessarily a problem with the episode, but it's the fact that the episode is so different from everything that's come before it uh, in SGU and everything. I think, I think most everything that comes after it in season one and in the Stargate franchise. Um, life is almost exclusively about uh, these personal relationships back on Earth told through the communication stones. What do you think? I honestly don't feel that Stargate is about domestic issues. Uh, that's not the kind of show that it is. You know, this it's not One Tree Hill. It's not a straight-up soap opera, you know? And life tackled soap opera issues, domestic issues. Stargate has been good about inserting them throughout the show at a couple minutes at a time in episode. And I was talking yeah. to Dean, my buddy Dean, about this this past week. Like a B week. story or a C yeah, story. Yeah, or a C story, you know? And we're okay with that because they are saying that this is happening in our time here and now. But I am, I am confident in my opinion that for life it was too much. And I know that for a lot of the cast and crew this was their favorite episode. Yeah, so I feel kind of bad that it's my least favorite because, you know, the guys were twittering and saying this, this one I just love so much. And you're right, it's all the content of the episode I like. I love the Camille and Sharon stuff. But it's also them sitting around a dinner table and just eating. You yeah, know? yeah. There's some nice emotional beats, but, but otherwise there's not much plot going on. Um, life is about establishing what our characters have lost, what yeah. they've left behind. Uh, and they have this really weird, tenuous connection to that through the communication stones. And yeah, I think that what you said really helps me to put that in perspective. It's not that I don't like any of the content, it's that the entire episode is about that sort of content. Whereas normally we're used to seeing it interspersed as a B story or a C story mm -hmm. in you know, something else that's going on on the ship that is moving the plot forward. It is the most Quantum Leap-esque of episodes, I think, because the only sci-fi element is the stones and, you know, dealing with, you know, another a person in someone else's body. I like the episode. I like mm -hmm. the revelations in the episode. And to a great extent, I wouldn't mind for one episode like this every single year because it helps to establish who the characters are what they've lost, what they're going through back on Earth, it gives them depth and it gives them color. But it mm. should not be what the series is about, in my opinion. Clearly, you look at the other 19 episodes of the season and it's not what the show is about. Uh, I, I definitely appreciate that. I would probably have to say that, that Life is, is my least favorite as well. But again, it's hard to say that because okay. there isn't one out here for me where it's like, you know, I really didn't care about that episode at all. Um, I, don't, I don't have that feeling for SGU Season 1. I really don't. I was expecting to, and I don't. They're all very well written. Yeah, and some of this, I think, is also because people are so close to it because of the immediacy of, of the show, having this is brand new stuff. Mm -hmm. I wonder if some of these episodes are maybe going to suffer a bit more criticism from you know the cast and the producers maybe mm -hmm. even as much as fans. Uh, just looking at the history of, of SG-1 in Atlantis, there are episodes that fans and, and producers and even cast members will, will generally say, that was not our show at its best. You know, there are not a whole lot of people who are fans of SG-1 who are jumping up and down about how incredibly awesome Emancipation was <laughs> from early season one. 
because it's the show finding its footing. And, yeah. uh, and, and that's okay to say that, that you, you think Emancipation was, was not a fantastic hour of Stargate because you have 213 other hours to compare it to. You know, when Emancipation aired, you had three hours to compare it to. My interview with Jonathan Glasner you know, really talks about the show trying to figure out what it was because at that point they didn't know even what kind yeah. of a, a show that they were going to be, a family show, a real action show, what worked and what didn't. And going in, you know, with SGU Season 1, it really seems like they had a clear understanding of what they wanted the show to become uh, and really stuck with it. And the show is a little bit of everything. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and shoot down those fans out there who are, are posting on the board saying, I think that they corrected the show based on fan reaction because so many people responded negatively to the fall episodes that they somehow fixed or reshot or tweaked in the editing bay to make the show better in the second half of the season. I think they executed the plan that they had from the very beginning. If they want to feel that way, sure. Yeah, we'll do the little the little uh, uh, first half of the season versus the second half of the season. Um, but first, I want to talk a bit about the characters and... The sort of show that they decided to do this year uh, with this series was a, a character drama. Instead of SG-1 in Atlantis, I think it's fair to classify as action-adventure. So did they, did they pull that off? What do you think of the character drama of Stargate Universe? When I look at the character drama, I, I don't see it as overwhelming the show. I don't look back and, and say to myself, you know, there wasn't enough firing of guns. There wasn't enough this, or, or character drama really drove that too much. I don't feel that at all. I think it was pretty evenly balanced because the show, to me, is about the characters and their interactions with one another set against this specific backdrop. And the backdrop can't be too pushy. I, I don't buy George Lucas's you watch Star Wars to watch the visuals. No, give me a break. Mm. I watched the characters, so the characters had better be interesting, George, and well-written. Yeah. More Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, please. What do you think? Um, they definitely did what they set out to do. They did an episode that was about the characters, and the, the scenario that they're in is largely the backdrop. I mean, first half of the season especially, it's, it's pretty much, you know, these 80 people in a tin can trying to cope with life together, uh, trying to cope with survival. I've got to hold shows like SGU to the gold standard, which in my mind for character drama is Lost. And Lost did such a fantastic job of weaving the main plot on the island with the flashbacks for each individual character. And I understand SGU doesn't want to necessarily you know, assign episodes to characters, so this is the, this is the Rush episode. Although we did, uh, in the back half of the season, we got a Rush episode. We got mm -hmm. a Greer episode. But, you know, you're not doing, you know, this is Colonel Young's flashbacks. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get to know who he is as a character. It's much more present. It's much more immediate. But there are certainly episodes that feel with the, that they're flashbacks. And they, and they toyed with it in different ways this season, and particularly with um, Human. Yeah, and Human is a great flashback episode because it is, you see Rush's history and what happened to him with his wife and with Daniel. Um, but you don't see Rush in that situation. You don't see how he acted two mm -hmm. years ago. You see him now. That's fantastic. I love that episode and the way that, that story was told, the way that that character was, was worked out. We are definitely going darker 
in the direction of our of our television programming. My father always says to me, you know, when I mention a show that I'm watching, he's like, David, you watch such dark stuff. Stuff is always dark. <laughs> and so I just introduced him to Glee, and he's watching that. Yeah. So Glee is the antidote. Exactly. You finish SGU and you put in Glee, and that's exactly what, I, what I've been doing. Yeah, and I want to smile when I'm done watching TV. Yeah. I want to be happy. Yeah, not to say that you don't want SGU, though. No, that's part of that, uh, I think, the, the new storytelling. Um, you know, maybe it is post-9-11 storytelling, is that it's a, it's a harder, tougher look, more realistic look at the world and at, at human beings. And I like that. It's, it's interesting and it's compelling and it feels true to life, which yeah. I would guess is probably one of, the, one of the reasons why we got a show like this was because Stargate has always been about us. It's always been about human beings in the here and now going out there. And so, you know, doing a, a really realistic TV series, you know, a realistic look at, at human beings. But always trying to portray us basically good and decent people, you know, set against, you know, whatever adversary that we're against. And the right people for the right job. And this is not yeah. the right people for the right job. Right. These are people that have flaws like everyone else, but they're not prepared for this. And they make mistakes. They screw up. And it's okay to say that. I mean, I think Colonel Young screwed up a few times in the, in the last episode. Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's not a jab at Louis Ferreira or, or anyone else. This character is not, is not that good in this situation. <laughs> yeah, they are very flawed. And we, we only had a few times in the previous series to, to see that side of a character. Mm-hmm. You know, when Jack slams the iris on Odo in the other side. Yeah. That's Jack going dark. You know, when Jack... Uh, beats on Malchus in Red Sky. Yeah. That's Jack going dark, but we didn't get to see that all that often, and we didn't really get to see it play out over the long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, the true, the true flaws of, of a human character. And so I appreciate that, but I do, like I said, when I watch TV, I want to be happy at the end of it. And so yeah. I can deal with the, with the dark stuff and with the, with the conflict, but at the end of the day, I want somebody to... to be a hero. I want somebody to be redeemed. I want somebody to be self-sacrificing. And that's something that I would like to see more in season two. I think in season one there's, you know, towards the end there's definitely a lot of coming together to face a common enemy. Uh, A lot of putting aside of past grievances between characters like Young and Rush Mm. uh, and even Ray. But uh, I would definitely like to see more in terms of, of these flawed characters being heroes, being somebody that I want to cheer for. How well do you feel like you know these characters at this point after 20 episodes? Uh, some of them have definitely gotten more attention, uh, more, more development and fleshing out than others. Mm-hmm. How well do you feel like you know the characters in a show that is supposed to be all about the characters? Hi, Darren and David. This is Ash. I'm calling from Fort Lewis, Washington, the home of Lieutenant Johansson. I wanted to say that the show has lived up to the expectations I expected of it. I think the greatest weakness in the show will be the unnecessary um, influence of the characterization, but I also want to say that the greatest strength of the show also lies in its weakness. Um, The one thing that we haven't seen out of Incursion Part 1 and 2 is exactly what the Destiny will do next. Keep in mind, we're still riding on a runaway train, as Darren put it, and hopefully we'll see how the ship will come through as, as one of the characters. Also, too, I wanted to say thanks to, to which one of you also introduced us to Lost. Um, I hadn't started watching the series, but my wife and I started with season one, and we're up to episode 20. 
and I feel that it's, I can see how SJU was influenced by the kind of storytelling from Lost. I hate continuing to, to throw Lost in the mix, but, you know, watching the finale and seeing each of these characters appear on screen uh, for the last time, an introduction of them, I could say to myself, I know everything that is important and everything that, that happened in that character's life that is significant, and I could mm-hmm. recall it then and there. Kate Austin, this, 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 this. Benjamin Linus, yeah. this, 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 this. We know all of them, and we're going to see how it ends. I think we are well on our way in season one with knowing a little bit about every single one of these guys, and I think that season two is just going to continue to expand on that while at the same time pressing forward into this this void of the outer universe of the unknown so there's 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 inward exploration with these characters and there's outward exploration which with the the circumstances that are that are befalling them and the uh the aliens that they're going to encounter yeah that's certainly i mean maybe it's an obvious thing to say but i certainly hope and expect that we're going to learn a lot more about these characters because I think you're right. We know a little bit about all of the main characters at this point, but we don't really know a lot about anyone. I think that Young and Rush have probably gotten the most sort of backstory mm-hmm. filling out. You know, Young and his relationship with his wife, and he had an affair with TJ, and he's got this uh, past friendship with Colonel Telford. And Rush obviously got, a, got an episode devoted to his backstory mm-hmm. and, and his wife dying of cancer and him being recruited into the Ninth Chevron Project. But uh, other than that, it's just kind of little nibbles for for all the other characters, I think. And I I want more. There's some strange things, strange anomalies with with the Stargate universe, though. That, you know, Jack O'Neill, perhaps the most beloved character out of all of the Stargate mythology, and yet we know next to nothing about his personal life aside from his ex-wife and his son. We never Mm. saw his, his parents. Never knew any members of his family. Next to nothing about his his personal life. It was never, ever explored. That's true. I don't think we even know if he has any siblings, do we? No. No. Oh, well, I mean, Harlan Beck mentions in in Season 7's Fragile Balance, I didn't know that he had a sibling, which probably means that he doesn't. Look at you with the instant replay. Well, I was watching it the other day. (laughs) All the other main characters, I mean, Sam, we saw her parents, or at least one. Daniel, his parents. Teal'c, we saw with from the perspective of the queen who killed him, but nothing about Jack. And I think all of the uh, the Atlantis characters, we talked about their family to the largest degree, ex- except for except for Ronan. We know that that Aiden had his grandparents. Something that ha- happened to his parents, but it's never mentioned with Jack. Uh, mm. I've always thought that that was strange. But we're on our way with these these guys. I'm not saying that we have to see all of their parents, but we're on our way with these guys to see uh, really how their personal lives unfolded before they got to the ship. Yeah, and that's why I like the the character drama that some people will describe as soap opera-ish, because it's important to know what's important to these characters. It's important to know where they have come from. I don't think mm-hmm. that, the, that the Sharon and Camille story is all that important to the mythology of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, moving forward with what's going on in the Destiny and how they're trying to get home and the, the relationships between the characters on the Destiny and the, the different factions... I don't think that Sharon is important to that mix, but what's important is she tells you who Camille is. Mm-hmm. She tells you where Camille comes from mm-hmm. and what she's fighting what she's for. she's fighting for, yeah. yeah. And as the show progresses, you know, if, if they see clearly 
uh, where the termination point is for the series, I'm really, really hopeful that we'll get a Destiny episode. Kind of like with Lost, we had a Jacob and uh, Man in Black episode. I hope that we'll get an episode after Destiny is revealed to be, I mean, what it is and, you know, Mm -hmm. what its mission is. I hope that it's revealed that we will see the day that it was launched. And we will see perhaps, you know, some of the, the, I mean, it'll be visual effects heavy, but uh, some of the the troubles that it has gone through and the millions and millions and millions of years that it has been out there. Because Destiny is a character, and I think that, you know, its history deserves an episode of exploration. The ancients who designed her, you know, what their real intent was, what... Uh, the, installing the secrets that have yet to be revealed for us, installing the secrets into the ship at, at, at the points that they did and why they did it. And, you know, I get the impression reading Joe Malazzi's blog that some of those answers are going to come earlier than I would have expected. If they had planned out a, a five-year story arc or something and, and some of those big revelations were to come in season four or five, um, I think that that they got this second year pickup and decided that that they're gonna they're gonna answer some of those questions uh, sooner rather than later. So I think that a year from now, when we're when we're reviewing season two, I think we're gonna know an awful lot about about Destiny. I hope not out of a fear of cancellation, though, but as you know, they feel that it will benefit the story by doing so. So first half of the season aired in the fall. Second half of the season aired in the spring. Uh, ten and ten episodes. And I think it's fair to say that it was almost like two different seasons. I think the show was noticeably different when it came back. The first Would you season, agree with it? Yeah. The, the first half is about, I think, about the basics, about the survival, about, about establishing the basics of the characters, the, the gradual progression of downs, as you once eloquently put it. You know, so that we can have touchdowns in in uh, season one point five. Just slowly gaining yardage. Yeah, episode by episode. The first half was the writers clearly, I think, made a deliberate decision that the first half is about setting up the characters, about what's going on inside of the ship, inside the the walls of destiny, and they are struggling to survive because the ancients, when they set this ship afloat, you know, they were probably expecting to to follow up and be there. I don't know. What do you think? Within that, that uh, generation's lifetime, even? I or don't know. Maybe don't maybe know. within a hundred years or a few yeah. hundred years. Yeah, there was um, a, there was, it was a long-term project. But Yeah, but yeah. I would expect that they planned on gating there, you know, within a few years or a few generations and not thousands of years or tens of thousands or what it's, what it's actually been, which is millions of years later. Uh, mm-hmm. So the ship is in no condition to support human life anymore. Um, we need water. We need food. We need air. So the first half of the season is about survival and about figuring out who these guys are. And now once we sort of are invested in, in, in their lives and we care who lives and who dies, mm-hmm. then we can start throwing them into these scenarios off the ship with these external threats like the, like the, the blue aliens and uh, you know, getting lost, getting left behind on the planet. Finding a planet with a dinosaur on it. (laughs) Yeah, the first half is definitely clearly about survival. And then the second half, you know, once survival is achieved, it's about coping. Hi, guys. This is Ryan from Chilliwack, British Columbia, calling. Regarding this week's listener question, 
Uh, I gotta say I do like Stargate Universe as a standalone series. Uh, in comparison to SG-1 and Atlantis, however, I think that the the darker tone lends itself to not uh, giving as much humor that uh, SG-1 and Atlantis are known for, and I do kind of miss that in some of the episodes. There's there's not as many uh, sarcastic comments made as there are in the original series and in Atlantis as well. One concern I do have going forward is the use of Icarus-like planets as a plot device similar to how they used ZPMs in Atlantis, where if the team happened to come across one, it either didn't have enough energy to sustain the long term, they burned it out by the end of the episode, or it would belong to somebody else and they couldn't take it. I'm really sad to see some of the ratings numbers, because it really seems like a lot of people did tune out after the first half of the season. I think, I mean, we ran a poll uh, in between the seasons, mm. in the halves of the season, that asked, you know, how basically how long are you planning on giving SGU to hook you? Uh, the pilot episode, or the whole first half of the season, or the entire first season, and... That was uh, a good poll. Yeah, the runaway winner was the people, a lot of people were saying, I'm going to give it the first half of the season until that that fall break. And and then I've you know I've seen ten episodes. I don't blame you if you make your decision to to stay or to go. Mm. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, the ratings are down a bit. I mean, you expect that obviously the the premiere of any series is going to have the highest ratings of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to skew the averages. So I kind of have to you know again to play Monday morning quarterback on on the poor producers. I wonder if if the show maybe would have gotten off to a stronger start if they had compressed that a bit and gotten some of the the uh, the external threats in earlier. Like, I mean, even if space was the, the mid-season finale, like it was originally written to be, yeah. I wonder if just that much maybe would have, would have uh, kept people jazzed a bit more during that huge four-month gap in between the seasons. The, well, having the finale of... The, the first half of your season as a murder mystery that takes guts. Um, mm-hmm. If it wasn't for the exchange between Rush and Young at the end and him abandoning Rush, I'm not sure that I would have tuned back in. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, I mean, it was it was a gamble. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Justice was a very strong episode. It was a good one to go out on, but when you're making that shift from the slow build-up in the first half to the payoff in the second half. I don't know, it's, it's, uh, you, you try and get people to come back for the payoff, I think mm-hmm. is harder than maybe giving them a little bit of the payoff after, after uh, that nine or ten episodes of, of kind of the slow burn. But that's neither here nor there. That's Monday morning quarterbacking. Communication stones I want to talk about. This is one of the ongoing storylines for SGU. And we know based on our conversations with the writers that when SGU was originally conceived... This apparently was not a part of the concept. The concept started with our guys from Earth are on this ancient spaceship that they can't control far, far away. And later on, it, it, it came out that, that, they, that the producers saw this piece of ancient technology, the ancient communications stones, and decided, wouldn't this be interesting if our guys had this on board mm-hmm. and could send their brains back, send their minds back to Earth? So it's uh, controversial. Is it... Is it uh, Overused? Has it been a good thing for the show? I enjoy it. I hope that it sticks around for a couple of years because I, it's a great way to get to know the characters. But at some point, I hope that someone chucks those things into the vortex. <laughs> um, yeah, I've heard that a lot. Because 
when that happens, then we're in some deep crap. Then we're in trouble. Uh, then we're cut off completely. When while Deep Space Nine and Voyager was airing, while even though I watched Voyager, I knew that I could turn on Deep Space Nine and know what was going on in Federation space. And it was pandemonium, mm-hmm. of course. You know, Dominion War. Roddenberry probably would have been pissed. With the communication stones, we can keep abreast of what's going on in Milky Way space. And, you know, the Lucian Alliance are still right. a bit of a problem, but the Ori have been defeated and things like that, you know, with it, with Atlantis even, you know, the, the female team came through and uh, helped us on in, in whispers, and they said, you know, the Milky Way galaxy is boring. When the communication stones are destroyed, we don't know what's going on at home anymore. And I think that level, that adds a level of interest, because when DS9 went off the air, we didn't know what was happening in Federation space anymore. We could have gotten home and found Earth destroyed. I think that that would be a bold direction to go in, a bold choice. But, I mean, will they be brave enough to do that? I don't know. I don't know, because that's that's clearly a storytelling device that gives them a number of episodes to work with every year. Yeah, and it's a storytelling device. So really the question from a writer's point of view is... Do you deliberately cut a finger off? No. You need that to type with. Can we tell better stories or more interesting stories if we have these to send people back to Earth to allow us to bring you know, experts onto Destiny when we need them? Or are our stories going to be more interesting if we don't have that resource and we have to rely on the seat of our pants? You know, If we can't bring an Amanda Perry on board, if we can't bring a Dr. Brightman on board to perform complex surgery... If you really want to tell a story about people who are secluded aboard an ancient ship, that is the way to go. The ancient communication stones give them an out. They may be breathing through another person's lungs, but, you know, they are they are on Earth. Yeah, the stones got a good deal of criticism in the first half because they were largely about going home. They were largely about visits to home. When We thought the premise of the show was about being stranded and far, far away from your loved ones. So... I do wonder if they did more harm than good. Started using them for really deliberate purposes, not just for shore leave, not just for checking in with with General O'Neill. We started using them, you know, to bring on again Dr. Brightman, um, Amanda Perry, and sabotage. I think those are really interesting uses of the stones, and they're, they're those are examples of how the stones can be used for some really cool sci-fi mm-hmm. storytelling. When Everett Young is in a crisis situation, I don't want to see him go back and report to Jack O'Neill and get essentially reprimanded. I, I'm glad that they introduced them, though. Again, I, I love the Quantum Leap aspect of, of the yeah. show. I, I like that kind of storytelling. It's a very, very sci-fi kind of storytelling. But at some point, yeah, I think it's going get, to get tiring. Unless they can do something with it to really make it interesting. Ramp it up, yeah. Um, visits home to the wife... Uh, I, I think that in terms of establishing who Everett Young is, there's only so much that you can do by having him go home and with the communication stones and go visit his wife in somebody else's body. I'm not sure how much storytelling mileage you can continue to get out of that. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if they do decide to eventually get rid of them or stop using them. I'm also curious now to see what, what our listeners think, mm. if the stones should just be chucked or if there's still good storytelling out there. You're right, there's been a lot of criticism leveled against them, so we'll have to see. Well, overall, how has uh, SGU lived up uh, to your expectations? Uh, by the end of the show, by the end of the season, it's uh, it's definitely the Stargate show that I was hoping for. And, and it took a little while to get there, uh, I have to say. Season one felt more like uh, the first season of a show, where, where it sort of has to figure out 
what it is and how it's going to tell its stories, which is perfectly fine. I think it's fair to say that it did have a slow start. I think that as a, as a long-time viewer, it, it maybe takes a bit of patience to adjust from season five of Atlantis, action, 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 replicators, wraith, over to this sort of slow burn character mm-hmm. establishment. The second half of the season, I think, is, is when they start to pay that off is outstanding. And there's some really good stories in here. Uh, and I expect that that's going to continue. But that's going to be the tone of the show uh, moving forward. I, I still think, though, that we need some bad guys. We need some external threats. You know, we can, we can only have uh, internal butting of heads so much, uh, internal angst so much. I think that, that the characters need to get out there and explore these galaxies and come up against some problems. How about you? I am proud to say that this is the show that I wanted it to be. You know, going going forward from it from Atlantis, you know, we were we were talking with the producers a lot and we were airing our our ideas about a show that we wanted and we were hearing their ideas about a show that they wanted when Rob first revealed even the name Stargate Universe to us and I remember thinking at the time, man, this guy's on my wavelength. This is the, <laughs> exactly the show that I want right yeah. now. And I I am proud of that. I do not apologize for that. A lot of people are uh, are upset with the direction that the show has gone. I feel lucky to be on the same wavelength as these guys, to be able to, to watch a show that is precisely what I wanted when I wanted it. Um, and of course there's room for improvement in, in any situation there is. I want more aliens. Uh, we, are, we are out there in the unknown. I want to see more unknown. Unfortunately, unknown is expensive. Yeah. But yeah. um, I, I think we're getting it, you know, in just about the the right dosage. It, throughout season one, I was I was amazed at how, you know, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I need an action episode right now, and hadn't known what episodes were coming next except for titles, and then I would get one. It was really bizarre, um, but I'm quite happy. Mm. I've been watching a lot of sort of Discovery Channel-esque shows about space exploration lately. You know, what would it be if we sent people to the moon of Titan or something like that? Yeah. And it's that feeling of a lot of us who love science fiction also love real world space exploration and and the history of NASA and the future of what we can potentially do in space exploration. Mm-hmm. And it's that feeling of of getting out there. It's that, that feeling of exploration. And so when I watch science fiction, yeah, it's about the characters. But I want to see those characters doing fantastic things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Thank you to everyone who called in this week with voicemail. Uh, Here's this week's listener question. On June 30th, in just one week's time, we're going to be talking about the episode 2010 and the year 2010. Then and now. This was a fourth season episode of Stargate SG-1, uh, which was set in the future... But now, hey, we're there. We are there. The future is now. So yeah. this week's listener question is, what do you think of Stargate SG-1's 2010? Are we better off now in the Stargate universe than we were with the Ashen? Pretty clear that it's nice that we don't have imminent domination by the Ashen and the attrition yeah. of our civilization. So that is obvious that we are better off. But we're talking about um, the little things. Invasion and domination by an alien race aside. 
Yeah, little things. So let's let's just get that clear right up front. Obviously, are we, we better are... off now? And that's our June thirtieth show. Uh, we've got a few open slots. If anybody has some great ideas of uh, of what you want to hear a main topic discussion about, uh, we have a few open slots in July. And then I think it's it's we're on episode ninety five. I think it's fair to announce. You think it's fair to announce? Sure. We're announcing that uh, we're going to go to episode 100 and celebrate our big 100 in, I think we'll be in late July by then. And then the Get World podcast is going to go on hiatus. We're going to go away and relax and take some deep breaths for the summer and spend our time updating the website, I think, because we only have so many hours in a week. Wouldn't you say? The podcast takes a great deal of time, and I appreciate every single listener who tunes in to hear me yap, um, much less you. But uh, Yeah, and it's usually it, fun. It takes a lot of resources, and the fact of the matter is there's a lot more to the site than these little rinky-dink podcasts, and I've got to, uh, we've, we've got to sit down and work on that. Speak for yourself, rinky-dink. Hey. Yeah, we've got, uh, now that the first season of SGU is over, we've got to update the episode guide, and the Omnipedia uh, needs a lot of new entries and updated entries. We've been trying to keep up with some of the big ones, but um, there's a lot of work to do there. There's a lot of work to do elsewhere on the site. We've got Mm -hmm. a ton of interviews coming up that Chad Mm -hmm. Colvin has been doing uh, at conventions in Vancouver and Minneapolis. Um, We have a ton of interviews that are, are on the docket, ready to come. We've got uh, Brian J. Smith is coming hopefully this week if he's not up already. Uh, Joe Flanagan, Michael Shanks, all your favorites, right? All they are coming favorites. back. Yep. They're back. So there's a there's a ton of work to do. We're going to take the rest of the summer off, and then the podcast is going to come back mid to late September. I think we'll do one or two sort of catch-up and refresh shows uh, before Season 2 starts in October. But don't think... Um that there's going to be a podcast drought from Gate World. It may be, but yeah. we've we've got some we've got some plans in the works, shall we say? We're we're not uh, throwing you to the wolves. Just because you can't listen to these two wackos, yeah, doesn't mean that there will be no one to listen to. We have plans within plans that have been developing for nearly a year. <laughs> nearly a year. I kind of feel like Brad with Atlantis, but. Um, yeah, I think, so I think our... you're going to be okay, and I think you're going to be. I think you're going to be delighted. So there's our our first announcement, our cancellation announcement. Although it's not really cancellation. <laughs> and then tomorrow so we're going to have a be press announcement by our <laughs> other announcement, podcast related. So stay tuned. And that's all the show we have this week. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to call the Gate World Podcast Hotline and talk about 2010 or 2010. Or anything else Stargate-related, David, what is that number? 951-262-1647. You can also record a short message on your computer. Give it a minute. Two minutes is, is usually the max that is good for a voicemail. You can record it and email it to webmaster at gateworld.net. You can always check out the podcast feedback thread on GateWorld forum. Lots of happy critters jumping around there. And uh, don't forget our show notes pain, which comes with... I was with... very hard on show They do cause pain. They <laughs> cause me pain weekly. <laughs> I spend a lot of time on those show notes. Let me tell you, we pain. take a vacation for the summer. I'm going to be looking forward to not doing show notes every week. you not doing show notes. I'm not editing the podcast for three, three and a half, four hours a week. I know. Well, hey, it takes me five hours to do show notes. So there... Five hours? 
No, it doesn't. So show notes, uh, links to anything and everything that we talked about in this week's show. Look for them on gateworld.net. Podcast number 95, SGU Season 1 Recap. Show notes saved by marriage. And from Gateworld, this is Darren. This is David. Stick around for Doctor Who next. And we'll see you next week on the Gateworld Podcast. David Q. Reed, my longtime friend. We like a lot of the same things, suffice it to say. Yeah, um, I, th- th- there are, I mean, yeah. <laughs> However, there are also a lot of shows that we just don't have in common. Yeah. And I think it's bizarre that, you know, I watch basically anything and everything in science fiction. And, uh... There are some shows that I think are absolute classics that you haven't seen yet, mm-hmm. and Doctor Who is one of them. And so you went to the TimeGate convention in I May, did. and uh, that's a combination of Doctor Who and Stargate fans. And you came back agreeing to watch three episodes of Doctor Who. Yes, the David Tennant episodes. I watched Girl in the Fireplace, I watched Rise of the Cybermen, and I watched Blink. Blink was easily my favorite. I enjoy Girl in the Cyber Girl in the Cyberspace, Girl, Girl in the, fi- in the Cy- Fireplace, yeah. uh, mm. because of its story and the, the nature of of how it was done. I mean, the the biggest the biggest things that that fumbled me were I mean uh, that that had nothing to do with the episode was when I was watching it. Why did the uh, the TARDIS go here, and what's the nature of how the Doctor goes where he goes? Is he just always on an adventure, and he brings a couple of swashbuckling friends along as companions? Mm-hmm. Why does he go there? Does he know anything about where he is, or is he just marching? Or is, is God directing him? Is some kind of divine fate directing him? So that's all going on in the back of my mind while I'm watching this, this mm. really hot chick uh, in, um, in 16th, 17th century you know, uh, French gowns. Yeah, through a fireplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sophia Miles, very beautiful. Yes, very beautiful gal. And Blink had a fantastic adversary, which was which was scary, a, a scary adversary. Um, mm-hmm. The Weeping Angels. The Weeping Angels with some great time travel causality, cause and effect. It was all constructed extremely well, and it was very tight. I was very pleased with the stories. Rise mm-hmm. of the Cybermen I did not care for. Um, I saw apparently a bit of Rise, Rise of the Cybermen previously and forgot that I had seen it. Did you go ahead and watch the second half? I started and I said, I can't. I, I can't do this. <laughs> Here's my problem with the show. It is too damn campy. I don't like how campy it is. And I mean, I was talking with Dean and he said, yeah, David, it's, it's, it's supposed to be that way. It's a kid's show. You know that's what it is. Yeah, and once you accept that and move forward, then you can then you can either like or dislike it. And he says, if if you want an adult show for for Doctor Who, go and watch Torchwood. They it was built in Britain as as Doctor Who for adults. And I said, okay, but for Doctor Who, um, the adversaries, with the exception of the weep, Weeping Angels, are mm-hmm. just too bumbly. The whole robots, robotto, you know, with with yeah. the wigs and you know the strange faces, and then you recommend another one 
that's pretty much the same adversary with, you know, masks and we are mindless drones. Delete, delete, delete. Ugh, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't do it. Let's um, put it in context here. I, I suggested Rise of the Cybermen because I wanted to give you a taste of a classic Doctor Who villain. Uh, and this is what the new series under Russell Davies has done so well is go back to the 60s and 70s and 80s and grab these classic Doctor Who aliens and not really reinvent them, but reintroduce them in a way that's really faithful to how they were introduced. And, you know, Daleks and Cybermen, these, these guys were introduced in the 60s and the mm -hmm. 70s when it wasn't campy. It's just the way science fiction was done. So it's, yeah, it's, Tammy and I said that, that when you start watching Doctor Who, I think the first thing that you have to get over in terms of, suspension of disbelief and watching it for the kind of show that it is mm -hmm. is that it's it's a campier show mm -hmm. it's just that um it's it's uh it's got a, a fun quality it's, you know the doctor's tongue is always planted firmly in his cheek what just boggles me is how seriously the two of you take the show when i don't see how anyone can take the show that seriously i love the doctor in terms of his personality i think that he's i think that he is an interesting character um, mm -hmm. one of the problems that I had with it, I had to turn on captions because I couldn't understand half the things he was saying. 80% of the dialogue, 85%, I could understand what he was saying. And I thought I was good with, with, with my friends who are British. You know, I can understand everything they say, but you know, on screen, when they start getting into the really fast techno babble talk, I couldn't understand yeah. it. I had to turn on captions. I was lost. For an American, definitely it takes, it takes him getting used to, and it takes multiple viewings to figure out what he said. Yeah. In some cases, that's true. But, I mean, the show is very clearly of quality. It is a fun show. It is interesting and 100% not for me right now. And I, yeah. I, as soon as I came to that conclusion, I said to myself, oh, my gosh, he's, he's going to call foul. He's going to say that I had that planned from the beginning. And I swear oh, to no. you that's not the case. No, I um, believe you. I believe that you gave it a fair shake. Um, now, also recognize that you can only learn so much about a show from this any, is true. any three episodes. And the Doctor is such a great character because of his history and because of uh, sort of the, the very darkness that is inside him, the, the dark places that he can go and tries not to, uh, especially in the David Tennant years, the Tenth Doctor. When you get into that dark place, when you get into uh, what the Doctor is running from, you get into the fact that he's not just sort of this bumbling comic adventurer, but he's he's sort of on the run from himself, from his own, the the own the uh, the darkest parts of, of his own psyche. Then it it becomes a a much richer, more compelling character to follow. I trust that it is. Yeah, but I thanks for giving it a fair shake. I just ask that you respect that decision, and I hope that you know at some point, had I been introduced to this show instead of SG One. Uh, when I was 13 years old and when Children of the Gods came into syndication, I would probably be working for Doctor Who right now. <laughs> but at this time in my life, this is just not a show that I'm interested in watching right now. That may change at some point. I'm going to keep it in my back pocket. Um, yep. But right now, I'm no. <laughs> now, if you're really a sort of guy who loves real-world space exploration kind of stuff, NASA kind of stuff, the next show I'm going to recommend for you for this summer. <laughs> I can't get free. Defying Gravity, right? It's Defying Gravity. Oh, I fully intend to watch that. 13 episodes, canceled, satisfying story. Great show. 
I never heard you say that, that it was a satisfying story. Yeah, in the end, I was... how it was resolved? In the end, I was very satisfied. I mean, it's it was canceled, but the point is they they told a final story that, that sort of drew the first 13 episodes to a conclusion. Well, I have every intention of watching that one, like I have Farscape. All right, cool. It's just a matter of me sitting down and doing it. <laughs>